0: We are blessed people, and as we go into these days, we need to understand that, and I think you've had the same kind of thoughts as I have had, why does this always happen to me? You've never thought that before? Well, you know, we share much more of each other than we give ourselves credit for or give each other credit for. And particularly when we are cross-cultural, we are intercultural, we are coming from so diverse a background of people. We are, in some respects, we are the world here this morning. And we don't have time to number off or name off, you know, where we've come from, or maybe where our ancestors come from. But God has gathered us together in this place for a blessing and understanding of His scope and His understanding and how He sees all of us at once. What a God! What a Savior! What a Lord we have! We're going to go forward in our message this morning in Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation that Jesus Christ personally gave to the Apostle John. And I've named this chapter 11, the beginning of the end. It means that we are just now dipping our toes into the water of in over our heads. The difficult part of Revelation. Yes, up to what we've studied so far and looked at so far, there's been some things like big question marks. What is this all about? So we tried to explain it as best we could and I hope that you've taken your Bibles home and looked at that. Or maybe you read it even before we have spoken it and looked at it together. What is this all about? And we're now peeled off the peelings of the orange, for instance. Or the peeling off of a hard-boiled egg. Or the outer coat of some package that we've received from UPS or from Takubin. And we've peeled off the outside. Whoa! Look what we got! It's those kind of surprises. But there's also, have you ever had this experience? Where you've opened up something that somebody's given you and you said, what in the world is this? (laughs) And you look at it, honey, come and look at this. What is this? What's this all about? Come on, you've had that experience, haven't you? That You've gotten something that a good friend of yours, I think they liked us, and they gave us this thing. Well, what do we use it for? We say to each other, I don't know. Well, let's thank them anyway. Well, you know, even coming to say thank you, it's kind of like, oh, we just really like that call it?" Do you know that English word, it? What do you call it? So this is the beginning of the end. Chapter 11 dives right in now to the mysterious, the unknown. And it continues all the way until almost the end of Revelation. So we are in deep water. We are in deep forest. I was in Alaska many years ago. On the island of Attu, it's right out north of Japan. It's on the Aleutian chain of Alaska. It's one of the last islands at the end of the tusk, if you look on a map. It looks like an elephant tusk. That island, just a very small island. I was stuck there for two weeks because of storms. The plane couldn't get in to pick me up and take me back to Seattle so I had nothing to do and so I decided to climb the mountain near the military base that I was working at and got up there there's a lot of history there and I looked out on the other side of the ridge and here was this incredible valley of you know what Lupin are Lupin are tall flowers, very skinny, usually in particularly wild, are purple. And they're about this tall, taller than me. This whole valley was full of lupin. And there was no path down through it. But right in the middle of this purple sea was this beautiful, pristine lake with the river flowing out of it. I thought I had gone to heaven. And somebody had told me, go down to the lake and there's probably salmon coming up from the ocean into that lake. But where was the path? There was no path. Because I was the first one there, I guess, in that spring weather. And so I walked through this jungle of lupin, which was taller than I was. But I could see the lake for a while, then all of a sudden, where I was down on the flat, well, okay, I think this is straightforward from where the lake is, from where I am. And I went through this incredible forest of lupin. And when I got down there, there were salmon coming up through a small river into that lake. Ah, whoa! This is incredible. And so I hurried back to the camp, to the uh, military base that I was uh, working on. And I borrowed one of the guy's fishing gear. And I went back up over the ridge and down with this fishing pole. But he only had two lures to catch the fish, two hooks. I was so excited. I could hardly even put the line through the lure, hook it up. And I threw it out there, bang, fish hit it, and I pulled, and the line broke. (laughs) (sighs) Whoa. So I thought, okay, don't pull back on it, just let it go. And so I re stringed another lure, threw it out there, and sure enough, just like that, another fish caught it. And I just let it go, let it go, let it go, and just. Slowly, slowly reeled it in, reeled it in, whoa! He got right to the shore, at the bank of the river, and I caught him with my hands and threw him on the bank. Nice, good-sized salmon. I caught two of them. But then I thought, wait a minute. I've got to go back up that <laughs> mountain. And I had this little backpack that one of the friends that I made there said, you'll need this if you catch fish. And so I put the two fish in there. Whoa, I better not catch any more. But the river was full of these fish. It was just incredible. That is a picture of where we're going. The beginning of the end. But the end is glorious. We think it's going to get dark and it is going to get dark and it does get dark. (coughs) From here on out, this is going to be like going through that Lupin. Scary, but at the same time, glorious. So if I ended my message right now, I hope I have baited you to go home and just start digging from chapter 11. On to chapter 19 let's begin the beginning of the end and we'll read this together as we have blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near for the time is near the time of the end is near the end of what we know is near. Revelation 11 1 to 19. This is the outline. Measuring rod, the two witnesses, the seventh trumpet, the ark of his temple. Father, we ask you to bless this message, your word. You've already blessed it, and you've given us opportunity. To be in this place and to be studying together and to be looking into these deep things. Holy Spirit come and anoint our hearts and our ears and our minds to be able to receive this truth implanted so that we be prepared to meet you. So that we be prepared with our brothers and sisters from all generations, all eras, from all cultures, languages, and peoples. and We gather around the throne. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First two verses sound familiar if you're aware of some scriptures in the Old Testament. And then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told, He was told to measure the temple itself, but not the outside. Leave that because it's given over to the nations. Who are the nations? We, most of us here, probably hundred percent of us here, are those who are what are called Gentiles. We are the outside people. We are Gaijin. Basically, to what we would call a Jewish race. We are foreigners. But do not measure the outside of the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. For what? And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And that is what has happened to Jerusalem nation after nation, kingdom after kingdom, have taken over this country, this small little country. Have you ever looked at the map and you see all these nations around? And here's little tiny Israel. Why? Why is Israel so much in the news in our day and age? It should have been long forgotten long 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 ago that little speck of a land should have never hit the headlines but every time there is some kind of a blurp in the world israel pops up why do you think that's just because newspaper writers like to report on israel i don't think so i think it is because god has put it right in the center of the nations of the world and he has sought and planned and designed that that is going to be the center of his activity this little tiny country israel and it says that those nations will trample the holy city for 42 months this you'll discover is also a similar vision that Ezekiel had. The measuring rod was probably not like the long manufactured story pole. Story pole is a measuring rod. Sometimes you I don't see them very often here in Japan. In fact, we've gone to the technology of not just using a rod, but we use a laser beam to get our elevation far off. That's what this was all about. But that rod, or that staff, that measuring staff, do you know where it came from? And it's apparently quite famous. It came from the river banks of the Jordan. A special reed that grew to about 10 meters in height. And you could cut that, and it was just like straight as an arrow, and you used it as a measuring rod. And so, if you were going by meters or by yards, say you wanted a three by three by three room or whatever, you cut it to the size that you want, and that is your measuring rod. And so, you measure from here with the rod, okay, it's that point there, then you go over to this point and you go over that direction and mark that it's that rod that's what he was given to measure why would God ask him to measure the temple only and why would he ask for a measure because he is evaluating he is making sure that is it is exactly so many cubits And it hasn't been changed. And that is Father God's exactness, Creator God's exactness. With all the billions of stars that we now know that there are, that are thousands of times larger than this earth, you would think there would be crashing and banging and booming and all, but no. In God's measurement and timing, they all are in sync. They're perfect. And we can go across, in the old days anyway, you cross the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and America and Japan share the same ocean, the largest body of water. We can go across that. If you are paddling, probably take about three months. If you're going by ship, about 10 days if you're going by plane it's even more tiresome 10 hours but there's measurements that have to be taken constantly to be able to go across that and that's what the measuring rod is all about to check to make certain that the standards are correct and that is what God is doing with our lives that's what he's doing with this church, evaluating, measuring, accounting, and knowing how much we have changed or how much we have decreased or whatever. God is measuring us, his people, because he sees a much larger picture than what we are right here. He knows who's missing here this morning. He knows who is new here this morning and we know that our God is in control that is a very important two verses number two there are two witnesses let's read that and I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days or 1260 days Clothed in sackcloth. Sounds like they were well dressed gentlemen. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. It's his earth, it's his possession, it belongs to him. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. These two witnesses, who are they? Who could they possibly be? Old Testament law said that there had to be, to verify anything, you had to have two people verify a fact or a truth that was the requirement of the law you had to have two witnesses if somebody had stolen something I couldn't just say you know George just stole my watch and the police officer would say well you have any witnesses any other than yourself according to Old Testament scripture it couldn't just be on my word own There had to be a witness to come and say, yes, I saw George take that. Or, no, George was not even there in the room when that watch was missing. There had to be two. That was the law. That was the law that God made. There had to be two witnesses. And that's very, very important because we as human beings, we don't know everything. It's not to say that we're liars. But maybe, for instance, just using the illustration of my missing watch. And George was around in the building, but the watch actually fell down underneath the chair, off the table or whatever it was sitting on. And in order to verify that it was George, there had to be some kind of witness. And so that is what is very important in Scripture. It's very interesting that when Jesus chose his disciples and then the first time he sent them out, he didn't say, "Uh, Peter, I want you to go down to the south end and uh, John, you go up to the north and Matthew, to the east and, no. He said, this is not uh, written this way, but Peter and John, I want you to go down to this village. And Matthew and and uh, I was going to say Luke, he wasn't a disciple. Uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, there you go. You go up to the northeast. Why? Why two by two? Well, for one thing, it really helps us if we have a partner to go along with us. Now that doesn't mean that you can't just go and be a witness or giving a testimony to someone just on your own but it sure is encouraging to have somebody along with you and that's why god gave me a wife she encourages me along when i'm fumbling through even quoting a bible verse and she's no no uh, this word ah thank you hun and that's why he gave me a good wife who's detailed and helps me stay on track you've even noticed this morning that that happens And they were called two olive trees. We'd like to go into that, I'd love somebody to call me an olive tree. Or a lampstand that stand before the Lord of the earth. Wow. Do you see yourself that way? Where you live in your neighborhood, at your school, that you're an olive tree, blessing other people, a lampstand bringing light in your workplace, in your family? Do you see yourself that way? The disciples were called witnesses. That's what God wants us to be. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. That doesn't mean a nasty fire that is going to kill them, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit is like a fire. And if we are in the Spirit, in the Word, following the Lord of the nations in His command to preach the gospel, it'll bring some hurt. It'll bring some conviction. It'll bring some troubling thoughts to those to whom we share. It's like a fire. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Pretty strong, pretty strong words. Who are these two witnesses specifically that the scripture is talking about? Let's read on. Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That voice didn't say, Look, there is Moses and Elijah. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. A very interesting statement. At the end, of the Old Testament, one of the last statements of the God of the Bible. I am not pleased with you, Israel, God says. I am not pleased with you. In the New Testament, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ who came to be the witness regarding the Father. He is the witness to us. And we receive that by two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. Both of these men are very curious men, and why are they chosen here? Well, both of them had a mysterious end to their life you remember Moses? Where is Moses' tomb? We don't know where he died. And what about Elijah? He was just whisked away in a chariot, like I'm going to (laughs) be. Probably not. The thing is, these two in Scripture, other than one other man who didn't die, Enoch, very early on. In Scripture in Genesis. But probably those two that were with Jesus were Moses and Elijah, and they were chosen then to give witness as the witnesses of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm not going to go into some of the other particulars here in terms of the statements about what John is sharing here, but let's go on to verse 6. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Who would that be? Who did that? Elijah Elijah did that. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Who would that be? Moses. So that's why we for sure think that this was... Moses and Elijah and when they had finished their testimony the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city Jerusalem that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord Jesus was crucified. So we're now getting into intensified conflict between good and evil, between hell and heaven. That is what is setting the stage now for the next chapters, the next eight chapters that we are going to be studying of this conflict of the ages. And this is what we have been saying week after week as we've been plodding through Revelation. The time is near. This time is coming closer and closer. And as I've mentioned before, our world has never been in the condition that it's in today in terms of connectivity, communication, and of the population of the earth. It's never been in this condition. The time is near. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you what the scriptures are saying. And people would say, well, they've been talking for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, about this in the Bible. And I remember as a junior high school student listening to my dad preach, and he would preach messages like this The time is near. And I thought, is it really? I'm not even married yet. I'd like to be married. Well, time has come and time has gone. And the end is still very near and becoming near and near and near. So when we look at scripture, we need to see it in the context, not just in our own meager little lifespan like that compared with all eternity and particularly the time of the earth and the population of man. Jerusalem, symbolically called Sodom and Egypt. Why? That is where our Lord was crucified. For three and a half days some of the peoples and the tribes and the languages and the nations will gaze at their dead bodies of the two witnesses and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. See, that's the problem with the world today. The problem with the world today is there's too many Christians and the church is trying to influence society and it shouldn't be that way. Have you heard those things? Have you heard commentators who say, These Christians think they've got an edge, and it's heating up, folks. It's coming closer and closer and closer to where our world will start squishing in on us. We need to be aware of this. Those two prophets, those Christians, have been tormenting us. Let's get rid of them. Let's not have them in our society. Let's outlaw them. And there are countries that are outlawing Christians, gathering just like we are here. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Well, I would think so. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. This was the voice of God speaking to the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. What is happening here? Sort this out. This voice comes from heaven. Come up here. And the two witnesses go up to heaven. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Who are the rest? Who would be the rest? Of those people in the city they were people that were not included in the judgment of God they were free from the judgment that came upon the earth from God and because of that and also because of where their hearts were they were terrified with the rest just like when we read revelation we don't feel good about reading this But in knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and who He is and what the witness is about Him, we have confidence that whatever happens, whatever disaster happens, whether we live or die, our faith is rock solid and we trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever happens to us. And these people lived. Yes, it was terrifying for them as it will be for us as we see these things coming, and as we read the news. But we give glory to the God of heaven. We acknowledge who He is, our Savior, our Lord, the one who cares for us. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. We talked about the three woes back in chapter 8. But this is now the second woe. We're counting now trumpets. We're in the sixth trumpet. We haven't got to the seventh yet. We're counting trumpets and we're also counting three woes. So John's Revelation, you've got to kind of look at it in a big picture and kind of read it, skim read through chapter 8 through 11. Skim through that to get the picture of what this is about. There are seven trumpets and there are three woes. The trumpets are announcing a change that is coming. The woes are talking about disaster on the earth. Why is the earth being cursed? Why is the earth cursed? Can somebody just tell me why is the earth cursed? Is the earth cursed? Let's disagree or agree. Is the earth cursed? Yes, it is. Why? Because of our sin. This is our gift from God and we have polluted it. We have damaged it. And so the earth is cursed because of men. And there are three woes against the earth. That revelation talks about and the first one was in chapter 9 verse 12 when locusts came and stung with their tails to torment men who did not have the seal of god on their foreheads israel was being tormented the people of israel were being tormented we all know about the holocaust maybe that's in the picture there of that terrible scorpion sting by these locust insects. But I think that there's actually more that's going to happen. And there's a second and a third. And we need to follow through of these disasters. Don't give up in reading Revelation because it's hard reading. Read through it. Ask God to to reveal what is this all about? What should my attitude be? Show me the meaning of these things. And then the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. It's like heaven is saying, God, where are you? You're the king of the earth. But the elders Falling down, say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, and for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Finally, God is doing something. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for your rewarding of your servants. It works both ways. God's wrath, the prophets and the saints, His servants, and those who fear His name, not fear in the sense of, oh God, don't hit me again, but God in, I worship you, I stand before you as one redeemed because of Jesus Christ, both small and great. And most of us in this room, I think we're just small. But we may be great too. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. You know, it's because of us that this is happening. For destroying the destroyers of the earth. Sin is a reproach to any people, the Bible says. In our filthy sin, we have polluted the earth. And he desires that those who are evil and who stand against his son, Jesus Christ, will be destroyed because they have been the destroyers of God's perfect creation. We taking part in that as well. But by the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, we are forgiven. And we stand, not in a righteousness of our own, but in His righteousness. His right standing with the Father. We share in that as we name His name as our Savior. One of the things that we're going to see now, next week, turning into chapter 12, we had noticed in the first part of Revelation, there was the mention of the Lamb. The Lamb the Lamb, the Lamb. And then it stopped. And for a period then from 6 to 11, there was no mention of the Lamb. But John takes it up again. And from here on out to 19 is the Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb. lamb. Who is the Lamb? Who is the Lamb? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for every man, woman, and child. He is the one that we worship because He has redeemed us with His own blood, cleansed us, and made us to be saints. You're a saint if you believe in Jesus Christ. You're a saint. You walk before him in purity and in white. You're a saint. Not because of your own good works, but because of his works. That's the message of Revelation. The Ark of the Temple. Verse 19. We'll close with this. Then God's temple in heaven is opened, and the Ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. That last sentence, where does that come from? There were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail from the Old Testament. That is the writers and any one of us looking at the person of the Godhead. That's the scene. That's what it's like. He's not a tame lion, you know. God is a terrifying God. But for those of us who have received the Lamb's cleansing, He's the dearest thing in our lives. And we stand in His forgiveness. We stand in awe of Him. May God bless you, and may God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance in his grace and his peace. You are the children of the Father. You walk in his favor. You are the ones who he has chosen and called you by name. He's our savior. He's the savior of the world. Amen.